Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here this afternoon with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. I don't mind the early game, actually. It's kind of out of the way now. Like, like you know, I, I'm an Oiler fan. I like watching the games, but this is also our work. And it's a responsibility, so it's nice to have the response. Like I've graded the games, the ga- the the grades are up, and uh, and it was a f- highly entertaining game. It was a thrilling, hard-fought I game. I enjoyed that game. <clears throat> fight. There was a fight between Kachuk and Kane. There was some great plays uh, by both teams. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it, Bruce. This is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcasted because it was a big Oilers win. They're all big. We'll go with two good things each. What? What is your first good thing? Yeah, I'm going to single out uh, uh, Brett Kulak as a good thing today. And I was noticing Brett Kulak in a very good light for most of the game uh, before his big third period when he had the two primary assists on the, you know, the goals that put this game away for Edmonton. He had, like, he seemed to be all over the puck. He was skating well and he was, uh, you know, he was in the lanes and in the guy's grill as much as he could be. He had one really, really ugly turnover, like one pass that just went straight to an Ottawa guy. It didn't really amount to much, but it was a poor one. I thought, you know, there's a, there's a sort of uh, uh, other side of the. Well, it led uh, to a great uh, age, a five alarm shot for uh, Ottawa. It did so. it? Okay, yeah. yeah I, 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 I guess yeah. what I remember it's is it didn't cost him a goal. Dangerous shot. Yeah. Didn't cost him a goal, uh, but I also noticed a number of good defensive plays, uh, and a number of plays where. Uh, he won the battle and he shook the guy uh, with his good skating. Like, you know, his, his ability to sort of double clutch and then go with it. And that actually played a role in the uh, uh, in the 5-3 goal. Uh, but he'd done that earlier in the game. Uh, he had one stupendous stop one-on-one against Brady Kachuk that lasted about 10 seconds. And Brady Kachuk is a premier power forward in the NHL. There's no other way to to describe the guy. And Kulak just went at him, uh, mano a mano, as uh, Louis would say, but actually it's a more appropriate term, hand to hand, for about a, it was like a, it seemed like 10 seconds was maybe only six, but it was an extended one-on-one. I kind of curled from one, one uh, uh, top of one face-off circle all the way around to the other one with, uh, with the battle ongoing. And that, I mean... Uh, this is for what they're paying him as a second pairing defenseman. People see him as a weakness on the team, and some nights he is for sure. And you know what? If you're a second pairing defenseman at that price, you got to expect he's going to get beat once in a while. Well, he didn't get beat much in this game. And then in the third, he made that terrific bullet pass to Pulley Harvey streaking across the blue line to spring him. He, he made a hard pass, and he led him because he had to lead him. It was the only place that he could put it, right? So it's one of those uh, uh, one of those passes we see in football where the quarterback throws it to the outside, where the receiver has to has to reverse and make a make a gymnastic play, but it's the only place he can put it where it might actually work. And he just bulleted in there, and Pulley received the pass, which was great to see, and then he went in and buried puck in the far corner to put Edmonton up uh, 4-3 and then a little bit later on the 4-on-4 which technically I guess was a shorthanded goal and it was but it was a long 4-on-4 and um, the puck was in Edmonton territory they chipped the puck back to Kulak at the goal line 
And he started to reverse, and all of a sudden he cut the other way, and he lost the Ottawa guy in the corner there, number 28. And then he came flying up the boards, left-wing boards, and he just basically blew past the Ottawa guy, number 57, the Pinto, that is, and cut into the middle of the ice. And as he went all the way to the far boards, he took two of three Ottawa defenders with him and then made a pass into the slot, and Derek Ryan was able to get a stick on it and just slam it home. And, I mean, those are two two great plays by Kulak. And, you know, when you look at the score sheet at the end, 0 oh and 2, 2, two points plus 2, and thinking, well, yeah, he earned those. So uh, good on you. This is another guy who's, uh, you know, we talk about the the uh, the forwards who are who are battling for position. <clears throat> I mean, 100% that uh, uh, Brett Kulak is as well. I mean, he's mentioned in lots of trade rumors. I even put his name out there in my post last night. So there you go. You fired him up, Bruce. You know, it's, <laughs> well, good. <laughs> it's part of Chikrinomania, right? Like. And, uh-huh. and the, the players must, especially Kulak, he, yeah. he knows that he was signed to be the second pairing defenseman this year to play those yeah. minutes and succeed yeah. in that role. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there's been such a mania, first over Joel Edmondson and now over Chikrin, suggests strongly that he hasn't done his job well enough to the extent where the majority of fans probably think he, he could be replaced, maybe even traded, because uh, he's not getting his job done. What we've seen from Kulak Bruce in the last month and we see this in our grade A shots data, um, which is one of the reasons I really love trending it, because it gives us these kind of quite a, quite a close, but I think mm-hmm. fairly precise look, fair and accurate yeah. look at who's trending up and who's trending down. And we see Kulak trending up sharply in the last mm-hmm. month. And we saw this kind of same thing happen with Duncan Keith last year, where he mm-hmm. started off weak, especially yeah. on defense, and trend up sharply uh, once he was paired with Bouchard. Now, uh, Kulak hasn't really had a change of assignment so much, although he is regularly now almost always with, with Tyson Berry, but they mix it up, of course, because of the 70. But he is definitely trending up, and he's getting a lot more snarly. I thought both he and Bouchard tonight were more snarly. They both were hitting people more than they usually do. Kulak especially has added mm-hmm. some snarl to his game, which is essential. And, of course, we we will recall last summer when he signed his contract, most of us, including me, thought, yeah, He's not a bad bet, actually, to step up into the top four. He did that in the playoffs. He was really good in the playoffs, uh, playing some hard, you you know, it was kind of debatable who was second pairing on that team in the playoffs last year, whether it was um, Kulak and Barry or uh, Keith and Bouchard. But Kulak really played well to the point where when Nurse went out for a game in a key game, Kulak stepped in and was their top left D that game and played very well. I forgot specifically, you're absolutely correct. So he uh, he is the order's poor man, Jay Bowmeister, um, you know, a big, beautifully skating hockey player. Ooh, can he ever but skate? Can he ever skate? Which I think actually gives him, he makes a better impression than sometimes he performs. But mm-hmm. tonight the performance uh, measured mm-hmm. up to the skating. And, um, you know, my good thing is the, pa- you know, it's that goal by Pugliarvi, partly because of Kulak's great pass. But man, mm-hmm. was it ever great. Yes, a Pugliarvi. We don't know how many games... Yes, Apuliarvi is going to play for the Edmonton Oilers. It could be just one more. It could be a goodbye uh, gift to us all. But thank you, Nessa. Thank you, yes. For one needed that. that was, <laughs> you know, the game was three-three. Ottawa had come back and tied <sighs> it up. Ottawa had come back and tied it up. Um, the Oilers <sighs> were the dominant team to that yeah, point, and, yeah. and fairly dominant. But yeah. you know, 
doesn't always work out that way. You can be the dominant team and you don't always win the game. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, at least get a loser point at this point. And, and what happens? The, you know, the guy that you don't expect it comes in and makes a play that we actually do expect from Yesapuliarvi, a high skill play where he finishes it off, finishes it off with a goal. He has shown at times that kind of skill. And, you know, he's such a big, rangy guy. And the thing I liked about the goal, it was a bit of an outside shot, but he was moving one way to his outside and he shot at the other against the grain. That's what got the goal. And it was a beautiful shot, beautiful finish. Excellent work by Yessa Pugliarvi on that goal. And for people like you and like me who mm-hmm. have rooted for this guy, you know, mm-hmm. rooted for him. Even when we when he went to Finland, Bruce, neither you or I were down on him. We mm-hmm. thought that was a natural move for him to make. Yeah, it was. Reasonable under the circumstances and, um, you know, to get his game and confidence back together. And it looked like it had worked when he came back. And then, of course, mm-hmm. the last year falling apart to the extent where there's major noises about him being waived or traded. Anyway, all that aside, it was just a gorgeous play. It was the kind, if it's the last thing that he does for the orders, good for you, as you say, Bruce. Good for you, Yessa. Great goal, great Game winner, fr- great freaking goal. And it, it 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 just put. I'm sure every Pulley RV fan was dancing on their couch uh, watching that one. And there are many Yessa Pulley RV fans in Edmonton. It should be noticed, mm-hmm. and in Finland. And there's yeah. you know the Finnish diaspora is quite hardcore pro Yessa. I know. Yeah, well, my my son watches his games downstairs uh, in his <laughs> man cave. Uh, well, his small family cave. But, uh, and so the feed, he gets it through computer and I get it through cable. And his is often ahead of mine for by a handful of seconds. So when I hear a big yeah come from the basement, I really perk up because I'm pretty <laughs> sure what's coming next is going to be good. And then, uh, and this time I did, but the yeah was sort of extra loud and emphatic. And I said, that's either sort of another McDavid level goal or else. And there was yes, so streaking up the wing, you know, or else. <laughs> Here we go. Boom, boom, in the net. Ha. Orders ahead. And that was it. They uh, thought they just uh, pulled away from there, really. Indeed. What is your second good thing, Bruce? Yeah. My second good thing is a lot of good things, a lot of good plays by little players, you know, like, like, I don't, I don't want to say little players. I want to say, you know, uh, role players on the team, like uh, Matthias Janmark deflecting an uber dangerous shot into the netting. And, and uh, but the guy that stood out for me for making a multitude of such plays in this game was uh, Vincent Dernay, who I thought just dominated his side of the ice it seemed like and and he was uh, uh he made a, a great takeaway in the first period a guy fast guy tried to go wide on him and vince just used his uh extendo stick and just reached right out with it's like what is it 14 foot reach or whatever and he's got a strong heavy stick at the end of that reach yeah. is the amazing part mm-hmm. and he just chipped it off the guy's stick and continued into the corner where he collected the puck while the guy sailed around behind the net. And then he had all day to break it out. Uh, but other times with just heavy um, body checks, just finishing guys against the wall and finishing them and keeping them finished while an, an oiler came in to collect the puck and the other guy just had no chance at it because he was sealed out of the play. Just so many of these... Uh, these uh, little good plays for DeHarnay. He's, he uh, no points today, but another plus two uh, for DeHarnay. 
And he's creeping up that uh, chart pretty fast. What's that, plus six or seven on the year now? I think it might even be seven. Uh, and uh, uh, not just sort of holding his own in the, as a seventh D-man. I mean, what he was brought in to do was to pro provide right-side defense that the Oilers have not been able to rely on from either Tyson Berry or Evan Bouchard. But between CeCe and DeHarnay, they got two solid right right shot defending defensemen, penalty killing defensemen. Uh, but the fact that the play is going north and the Oilers are scoring goals at the other end, well, some of it's shooting luck, uh, but some of it is the fact that the play is going north because uh, DeHarnay's had something to do with that. And this afternoon, uh, I just, uh, I, I was kind of focusing on him when he didn't have the puck, which is almost all the time for that guy, of course. And, and uh, <clears throat> he was just... Uh, on his man, taking the right man, to you know, finishing the check. And, and a guy that big, even when it looks like it's just sort of a light bump on the sidewall, the other guy knows he's been hit. He folded one Ottawa guy over the, the bench. Oh. Anyway, uh, that's my second good thing. I Bruce, I loved his battling with Brady Kachuk, who is a real tough customer. And I really, yeah, yeah. I actually really like Brady Kachuk. I think he's I such do. a... As he's, the truth. He is, He's the he's best. He's my favorite Kachuk. Kachuk. <laughs> yeah, which isn't saying a lot, but he it is. Including he's, he's old actually, daddy. He's not as dirty. Like I don't know. I can't speak for his father. I don't remember his father's game. That I. But he if it was, was dirty or not. But I, it was rough. It was it was nasty, yeah. and so is Brady. He's rough and nasty, but he's not. He, I don't see him slew footing guys like some other mm -hmm. Kachuks. She'll go nameless. Um, at this point, do constantly. The other two. Anyway, yeah. he, I loved, I love the way DeHarnay stood up to that guy and just, just gave it to him with the old face wash and went right after it, after him. And then there was a, just after that, there was a penalty called against the Oilers. And I was realizing, I'm, I can't wait to see DeHarnay get on the ice and battle Kachuk in front of the net. Like, mm -hmm. when was the last time that I was waiting for like a net front battle mm -hmm. to, to be exciting? But that's mm -hmm. exactly what he's bringing to it. I mean, it's like Sheldon Surrey, Chris Bron Pronger. No, he's not those kind of players, but in front of the net he is, right? He's a big, nasty, fearless, intimidating player in front of the net. Exactly what the Oilers needed, or he's what the Oilers needed. I mean, they could have had a, a little uh, shot-blocking demon like Chris Russell, right? That's also really good on the PK in front of the net. But this guy actually might even be better than that because... He's not a bad shot blocker, and he is absolutely, he is fierce, Bruce. He's fierce. And, you know, with his hockey stick, you're mentioning how long it is. I understand, like, to get the correct length of his hockey stick, they measured the, the span of the high-level bridge, and they got it exactly. <laughs> so, he is a big, he is, the seaweed man is a big, and he's, he's going to be a legend, right? Because people in Edmonton love this kind of player. They love what he what he's going to bring. And he's entering the conversation next year They with four right shot D. And the need to save salary, it, it it provides the opportunity to move out a veteran player, save some money, and have DeHarnay play a regular shift next year um, as one of their their uh, six six D men. And he's he's trending towards that right now, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that role in the future. Right now, I see that no reason whatsoever for Edmonton to ever change uh, from eleven seven for as long no. as this goes, like that. The, the, the system that they got right now is working, and it's been working. I mean, what is this nine zero and two in their last eleven? And that's when DeHarnay came in, and they've gone seven D, same seven D every game since then, and they haven't lost one in regulation. I mean, 
And the and the uh, chaos it brings to the other teams in terms of line matching, I don't think should be underestimated. Like, I don't know if anyone's worked out, like if you went through mm-hmm. a typical game before the line comp, how many line combinations, permutations there were in the when you had 12 forwards as compared to 11. But it just seems like it's constantly changing up. And there's McDavid's mm-hmm. out there with this, that, and the other guy. Drysettle, mm-hmm. the same thing. Hyman, the same thing. They're Matt. And these guys get a little bit of, everyone gets a little extra ice time at forward. So it's it's it, it makes a lot of chaos for the other team, which I also like. One, one thing I've noticed, by the way, before we move, move to uh, your second good thing, is Oilers starting a lot of games. Uh, and this, is, I think, is a really smart move by Woodcroft. Uh, he'll start with three lines and then his 10th and 11th forwards. And it seems to me a lot of the games, like the opening lineup of the game is the 10th and 11th forwards with McDavid. And it's just like a little bit of a stick tap to Jay. You, know, you guys are going to get your ice time, even if you're not really on a on an official line. And you just right from the start of the game. And I, I think that, you know, that's just a real good deployment by the coach. You know, it's a good message to his players. And it's usually a good line. I mean, it's got McDavid on it, right? <laughs> <laughs> And the owners, Bruce, like their bottom line guys, they don't always get a lot done. And, you know, there's uh, some of them didn't get a ton done tonight, but um, they got some good bottom line players as well. Bruce, uh, we, you just brought up McDavid. And he is my second good thing. The, the play that he made on the Oilers' third goal was it was the captain laying down the captain's law. Like it, it was it was a Bobby Clark meets Mario Lemieux kind of goal with Bobby Clark, the first part of it, where McDavid hustles in on the, um, as the puck's heading up ice on the PK, and he is harassing Thomas Shabbat with a, a number of nasty uh, hacks with his stick and checks, little checks. He was absolutely fierce on the forecheck, and he, and he got the puck off him. And then he protects it brilliantly. And there's nothing anyone can do. He's protecting it and they're worried he's going to shoot. You know, you can't overcommit to going after him aggressively because if you do, he's going to spin the other way and get a great shot on net. So you kind of have to hold position and he's waiting, waiting, waiting for Ryan McLeod to steam into the play. And finally, with his back to him, it's it's kind of a no-look pass, although he's he's well aware that McLeod's coming because he's been peak, taking peaks for the last two seconds, it seems. And and finally, he without looking, he does make a, a, a fine backhand pass right across and, and McLeod puts it in. It was it. it was a fantastic goal and a fantastic mm-hmm. play by Connor McDavid. He just really, you know, it's like he's the man. He's taking command and uh, he's going to lead his team to victory, which is exactly what happened on that play and in that game. Yeah, that was uh, that was a spectacular play. Uh, ca- Captain's log, Stargate <laughs> 230211. Or oh no, you said Captain's Law. He was laying down the law. Yeah. 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 Well, Captain's Log too. Yeah. The, anyway, the pass that uh, McLeod made the aerial pass out of the zone. McDavid tried yeah. to knock it down. It just went a little sideways to the Ottawa guy. I thought if it if he knocks it down straight, it's a breakaway. But it was Shabbat, right? And yeah. he can really skate. And so it kind of went to Shabbat, and McDavid managed to get a stick in there right away on the stretch. And that was the reason that Shabbat had to turn all the way back into Ottawa territory. And from there on, he was soundly schooled by McDavid on a series of maneuvers. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he, he just did, other than he didn't get the perfect knockdown of that pass, everything else he did on that play was essentially perfect. And thankfully, McLeod came in and buried the shot. So this play will be on the highlight reels for quite some time to come. Often you get these brilliant plays and 
and uh, the guy, other guy misses the net, or, or even the other team's goalie makes a fantastic save, it's less likely to get on the highlights. But uh, this one, uh, we'll be seeing this one a few times. He got one in Chicago, maybe four or five years ago, where he dangled a bunch of guys in front of the net, and he made a goal mouth pass for an absolute tap-in by his teammate after he bamboozled four, four Hawks, including the goalie. Uh, almost standing still like today. Like I, I still remember that one. And uh, this was in that class, you know, 11 out of 10. Vinny DeHarnay is plus nine. Now, oh. Cody CC, he's, he, uh, so Zach Hyman leads the team. Zach Hyman leads the team. And we didn't mention him yet uh, in terms of the, Zach Hyman just had a whale of a game. He he led the team with 10 major contributions to grade A shots. Zach Hyman leads the team in plus minus plus 18. Which isn't surprising. He has been probably their best player at even strength, which is saying a lot with Connor McDavid on the team. But he really has. He's just been phenomenal on defense and on the attack at even strength. Darnell Nurse plus 16, Philip Broberg plus 11, Cody Ceci plus 10, and DeHarnay plus 9. Bruce, what is your bad thing? Uh, uh, My bad thing is casualties, of which there were three in this game. Uh, I didn't see the one to Jake Sanderson, uh, son of former Oiler Jeff Sanderson, who uh, uh, is uh, uh, was playing a very fine game for for the Sens until he left it with some sort of injury. And uh, that, the way they were talking about it, it sounded like it might be not just a little thing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure how I missed it. Or if it was just one of those things where he left and then didn't come back. Uh, then the middle injury, of course, was to Clean Costin of the Edmonton Oilers, uh, where he really took a heavy crunch into the side wall and glass from Artem Zub, who's one tough customer for Ottawa. And uh, uh, he came out of that very much the worst for wear, holding his left wrist. And that did not look like it was going to be just the rest of this game. I think we'll be without Clean for a while, and that has some consequences which i'll mention in my number uh and then of course the third one was a really uh horrid almost tragic looking injury to uh uh ottawa goalie and uh former oiler uh anton forsberg and forsberg was uh uh, just caught between a rock and a hard place and in particular, uh, his defenseman did his did him no fam- favors. Twice push, pushing Zach Hyman in on top of him, and the second one knocking Hyman down onto his extended leg. And uh, there was, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of a slow developing play where the puck stayed in the blue paint, and it finally came out, and Nuge got a hold of it sort of settled it down and then fired it in the net and Forsberg hadn't moved the entire time. And I'm already going, oh, that doesn't look good. Uh, anyway, Harmonics hit on, uh, on uh, Hyman was so egregious that even NHL refs were able to agree that Zach Hyman did not commit goalie interference on the play. And <laughs> at that, you could see Hyman on the bench rather than celebrating a clinching goal. He looking very concerned and, and kind of downcast that he'd been in the middle of that play, but really it was, uh, it was it's not on Hyman other than getting in where he's supposed to be. Defensemen aren't supposed to do that to their poor goalies, but uh, that was three injuries to, to three uh, 
three players of, you know, I mean, they all have Edmonton connections, as mentioned, but of course, for Oilers fans, it's the one to Coston uh, that uh, has the has the deeper implications. But again, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing about the Ottawa defenseman, I, in his defense, it is chaos. It is chaos in front of the net. When the pucks, I mean, they are like every adrenaline gland is firing, you know, at full capacity. And you can't, you got to be tough. You know, you've been told your whole life, be tough in front of the net. Be tough, take out the man in front of the net. Don't allow the goal. And he just does what he does. And and it's just Get chaotic. between your man and the net was the way sure. I remember being taught. But yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect <laughs> technique. But that doesn't always happen, right? So in, then you're even more alarmed because you failed. And then you're, you know, you know. <laughs> trying to make up for that and more prone to probably uh, a bonehead play anyway. That was uh, a tough play and, and, and hard to see the goalie get injured like that. I hope he, we're all hoping he's okay, of course. Bruce, my bad thing is Jack Campbell. I thought he was, <laughs> well, he was, he, he didn't get a ton of, the, the grade A shots were 17 to nine for the Oilers, but the the subset of five alarm shots were much more even with Edmonton having seven and Ottawa seven. Hmm. So he did have some tough shots, Campbell. And, um, but, and, and the two goals that I'm going to pick on him for were, were not like, they weren't egregious. Like they weren't like, Oh my God, how, how did that ever go in? But they were like, B shots. Why, why did that go in? You know, they're grade B shots. They were defend defenseman, Jake Sanderson and Eric Randstrom shooting from outside from the high slot just on the edge of the great A zone, mm-hmm. but not inside it. And with what looked to be Tyson Berry's stick, give or take, maybe blocking the, the view a little bit on the second goal by Brandstrom, maybe, yeah. but it didn't even look like that. It didn't it just take the like stick he, like it did last game. Yeah, it looked like he had a clear look at both shots. They were both grade B scoring chance. They're scoring chance shots, like they're grade B scoring chance yeah. shots, but they're not grade A. Goalies in the NHL should have grade B. They shouldn't be beat by grade be scoring chance shots sometimes they are and you know one out of ten times and it happened twice some you know go in for sure and now usually it's a great shot well i didn't think branstrom's in particular was any kind of a great shot i was really kind of surprised by that one yeah and i didn't but, think i i didn't think sanderson's shot was a great shot although he had lots of time to get it off it was a good shot mm-hmm. but he was pretty far out there and yeah. anyway i just think campbell um he had been cutting down recently on the major mistakes Mm-hmm. Uh, leading to goals against, but he had a couple couple there. And man, it's 3-3 all of a sudden, and his play could have cost the Oilers the game. But as as we've seen all through this season, Bruce, this trend continues where Campbell um, doesn't play great, uh, but his team does, and the Oilers get the win uh, when he's in net. Um, let me just check his record. Skinner, I think, now has 13 wins and... Uh, 13 losses all told, including losses in overtime and shootouts. Yeah, the last two games in a row. He let in three goals and he lost lost both of them in it's just this time. This weird trend. And now Jack Campbell's uh, record is 17 wins and nine losses. Like he's not in Cy Young territory there, but that's a pretty good one one loss record for a, uh, you know, as a major league pitcher. Eight, that'll eight wins in a row and nine. nine yeah starts in a row that he won he got one loss in there when he came in for skinner just before skinner went home uh for his baby to be born and he allowed the game winning goal on a shot that i still don't think went in in los angeles but that's a 
carp for a different day. Uh, but he's nine, his last nine starts have all ended with uh, uh, a complete game wins. So he's, uh, you know, he's, that's, I thought when they made it 3-2 that he was going to slam the door, but he certainly didn't on the 3-3 just a couple minutes later. But the third period, they got nothing and uh, didn't get a lot of sort of really good looks, but there was a couple of sort of really there was one, yeah. dangerous ones and he just, uh, uh, he uh, turned everything aside. So uh, he's uh, probably not the reason they won the game, but the good news is he isn't the reason they lost it. Right. I mean, if they lost three two and those two had gone in, we would probably be saying something different. Indeed. Bruce, your numero is Yeah, my number is seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Uh that is the salary of one clean Costin. Who uh clean went the down dream. this afternoon, yeah. Clean the dream Costin. Uh who uh uh, as mentioned earlier, went down with what looked like a fairly serious-looking injury. And the fact that Costin makes exactly 750000 and no more, which is the NHL minimum for this season, is problematic to Ken Holland. Because Holland's in a situation where, and again, I wrote about this last night at some length, about the dollar in, dollar out. At the beginning of the season, the Oilers had $165 in cap space, and since then, they've basically had a dollar in, dollar out replacement, right? They had originally Brad Malone at 762.5. Now they got Vince DeHerney at 762.5. And originally they had, uh, well, who the heck was the guy they set down right on 750 uh, at the beginning of the season? And then the other guy at 750 was. Uh, um, uh, Ryan Murray, and they replaced him with Gleam Cost in the 750. Tyler, so, uh, Tyler, no, Tyler Benson, Tyler Benson. He, was, he was there. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. they've during the time Kane was hurt, there was more room to maneuver. But the fact remains that Kane is now back. And the minute Yamamoto was also back, the Oilers are instantly back in the exact scenario that they were at the beginning of the season, which is to say they have to send out some player making more than a million and an eighth, 1.125 million. That's the max they can bury in the minors. And it wouldn't matter if it was McDavid down there. It would be all they could bury in the minors. Uh, so they have to pick from a fairly short list of guys to send out. And even when they do that, they can only replace Clean Costin with another player making exactly $750,000 because they got $165 in space, which actually they don't have that because... Their uh, their limit for the season is set uh, was set the day they established that roster. So the most they can go is what is it 82.499 uh, dollars. Uh, they're within two one millionths of the salary cap. That's how close uh, Ken Holland cut it. So Bruce, they can't they can't call up Raphael Lavoie like Raphael Lavoie oh, has been ripping it up right, and they can't well, call him up because he makes eight hundred seventy thousand. Yeah, well, here's what I'm getting to. The non-roster players for the Oilers, uh, all the guys on ELCs make, you know, 925 or, or uh, uh, you know, NHL, you know, sort of maximum yeah. ELC money. LeBlanc makes 875. Philp makes 842. Uh, and then guys like Tulio, Hamblin. And then you got a whole bunch of guys, Seth Griffiths, Brad Malone, Greg McKaig, 
uh, all NHL veterans, and they're all making 762500 In case you're wondering, why does that figure keep coming up over and over again? It's because that's the average between this year's minimum and next year's minimum. It goes up by 25000 oh, So between the two, they had to give them the minimum for each year. So the average is 762500 So even though it's the minimum, it's more than the actual minimum of 750 and so all those guys at 762.5, none of them can be brought up. The only guys they have at 750 are Tyler Benson and Justin Bailey. So if the Oilers have to make a recall for Clem Costin, which I fear they're going to have to do, uh, well, until Yamamoto comes back, they have they can do it different. But uh, they can't even keep Devin Shore in the lineup, right? Because he makes more than 750. He makes 850, so he's out. So it just it really ties um, uh, Ken Holland's hands, and you know, and it's, it's it would be a very different thing if, say, that had been Matthias Janmark who got hurt today. All of a sudden, that solves the salary cap issue. But uh, uh, I have bad feelings that uh, that it's just going to really seriously limit Holland's options. Of course, he can always go out and acquire a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar player in a trade. Or get a team to retain down to that level. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, I guess uh, uh, Bailey's been showing pretty well lately, and he too has some NHL experience. But Costin is uh, is uh, he's hot, he's hot and cold. But uh, uh, I think he sort of embedded himself in the team at this point as a you know a, a solid got your back kind of teammate. Let's face it, Bruce. It's Luke Esposito's moment. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know what? Um, I don't even know if Benson's healthy because he's only played 18 games um, this year in Bakersfield. So he may be healthy. Like, I don't mind Tyler Benson getting called up. He he is a, mm-hmm. I think he's a useful yeah. NHL player in a, in a, in a limited role. Um, Costin has been trending down for the last few weeks. He's not been getting much done in games. It's unfortunate he got hurt, of course, this game. But he, he is not, um, he's not been, you know, he, he was on an incredible heater shooting the puck. But his physical play hasn't been as strong. In the la- he just hasn't been noticeable to me, at least. I thought he had a poor game tonight before he got hurt. Uh, anyway, Benson might get a chance. I-, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I don't know about Justin Bailey's game at all. I, lo- I love Luke. I- I'm just kidding about Luke Esposito. He's not even on an NHL contract, but right. he is a very fierce hockey player. Yeah. And I've always, he's my one of my favorites down in Bakersfield. Uh, yeah, Bruce, it's, it's uh, you know, could they send Yamamoto down for a two-week conditioning stint? Is that crazy talk? Could they do that? Coming off IR, there's a way to do it without activating the guy. Sometimes you send a guy down for a conditioning streak like they just did Devin Shore, and if he's on the active roster, he stays on the active roster. But if he's coming back and playing his way back into shape, there are some rules about allowing a guy to play, say, a week in the AHL, like uh, Sekiro was one guy who did that a long time ago. And... and, uh, there's there's some rules and I don't know what the what the parameters are. Like there was some suggestion Fogel was injured too, like that he that's did why not he, play today. Yeah, so, so he, he, and was, he had been playing he was, well, right? He, yeah, very well. He had two yeah. excellent games on this road trip, but yeah, he blocked so. a shot on his calf in the last game in Philly. Uh, and then uh, and he was hurting at that time. He finished out that game and he made uh, to my mind one of the very excellent plays down the stretch on the penalty kill when he when he stole the puck off a Philly player uh, and then uh, 
tried to get it out with, without his stick and he was able to dive at the blue line and somehow bat the puck past him at the end of Philly's last power play, which is something we didn't talk about last game that I kind of missed because I thought it was terrific by him. Anyway, they missed him today, but uh, the uh, guy who came in to replace him only scored the game-winning goal, right? So it's kind of nice when you got a roster deep enough that that can happen. I mean, Vogel himself played the exact same role two games earlier. He was the first guy, first game back, and he got the, the go-ahead and game-winning goals in the game in Detroit. So given Yamamoto's injury history this year, mm-hmm. given um, the... Worrisome the worrisome nature of, you know, concussions and I don't know what's holding him out. I'm just guessing. I don't see any reason on earth to rush him back to the lineup. And I, I and I, I see a reason to send him to Bakersfield, let him play a few games, see if he can stay healthy and, and hearty um, and not have symptoms or whatever, you know, whatever's dragging him down repeatedly, or maybe it's a series of different things. I don't know, but it seems prudent. Send him down for conditioning stand any way you can do it. Just buy yourself some more time uh, mm-hmm. before you have to make a decision on on Yesapuliarvi because um, if you start getting injuries on the wing, you may need Yesapuliarvi in the playoffs. Yeah, and he's yeah. he can be a decent playoff performer for you. So the, you know the prudent move may be to hold to right. hold hold his contract. That I know that's going to mean like some people will be terribly upset that the Oilers don't make a big move at the deadline. I'm not in that camp, so I'm I, li- I like this team. Um, I'm not against picking up another, you know, another forward if you can, if you can afford it. But um, I'm not, I'm not in the. Let's make it. The orders mm-hmm. need to make a big move. Camp not with Kulak trending up, Broberg trending up, DeHarnay trending up, um, CC and Nurse holding their own. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm just. I'm content with what I'm seeing on the defense. So, first, my number is eight. Leon Dreisettle broke his goal, uh, shot drought, two games without a shot. And uh, halfway through the first, he he uh, got a shot on net finally. And then he erupted. He, he uh, Of the eight shots, Bruce, um, five of them were grade A shots. And two of them were his dread executioner shot where he lashes the puck. Mm-hmm off kind of one knee it's a unique one-timer off one knee where he gets down low and just lashes that pocket net and uh he hit the post on one of the executioner shots so he was leon was uh firing away he looked really good this game his legs were going um i thought he, he had read his leg. press clippings david yeah he did he thought well better Time to get the sand out of my skates and uh, forget the beaches and get skating again here and get going. And he did. So credit. He is such a fantastic hockey player. He he gets criticism here and other and in and in other places. Mm-hmm. Some sometimes probably too much because of what he what he does mm-hmm. provide on the attack uh, mm-hmm. is so astonishing um, that 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 you know I think if he can come up big defensively in the playoffs. All's forgiven. Like, who cares how he plays in the regular season? Uh, grind on a certain level. You make the playoffs and you get there, and then he can. Because I do think he's someone who can crank it up. Like, I don't oh, think yeah. this is um, someone who just habitually makes mistakes that he can't fix. I think he can make fix a lot of these mistakes. If I'm completely honest, when he's fully fully into the game and concentrating and determined not to be beaten on defense. So he he broke out of the drought tonight. 
great game from Leon Dreisaitl. What did he get? Uh, how many points? Two assists plus two, assists. two I think. Yeah. And so he plus uh, one. And a penalty. He is, he is now up to 78 points in 51 games. Not bad. David 97, Nugent Hopkins 63, Hyman 62. I like and, it. Um, fantastic. fantastic. Now, Leon had eight shots on net, two that missed, including one, that, at least one, that rang the iron. And uh, as you say, many of them were, were danger shots. Uh, his, his legs were moving. Uh, his sort of cross-ice passes, he made one of those cross-ice top-of-the-zone passes that in the last two games both would have been intercepted for jailbreaks. But in this game, he snapped it through and he found Hyman bursting up the wing and it wound up being a chance for the oil. I mean, there's a reason he tries those passes. Sometimes yeah. they work. You and when he's on it. his game, they're more likely to work, and t- today it did. But honestly, David, I think the single thing I liked best out of dry saddle today was, um, uh, well couple things he uh, the, the the great pass that he sent to, to hyman in alone on the penalty shot oh, or yeah. what became the penalty shot and an unassisted goal for hyman i mean i got robbed out of a point there the timing on that he held the pockets hyman burst free in the neutral zone then bullet pass i thought he would pass it slow and right away but he held it and he started i think he kind of crossed up the defense when he passed it when you didn't expect and it was right through and on his tape and hyman was gone <laughs> But the other one was in the first period when he had a bit of a long shift and he <clears throat> puck come back into his own zone a couple of times. And the second time he came out with it and he had full possession just inside of his uh, own blue line. And he had a couple of ways he could have passed it. And instead, all he did was was use the lob wedge and just dump it high into the air. And it came down in Ottawa territory. And by the time the puck landed, Leon was on the bench with his line already changed. And I thought, yeah. That's what we need to see from you. Just a little bit more of the safe stuff when when situation calls for it, as it did on that occasion. And just a nice little sign that his head was really in the game and, at, you know, for the whole 200 feet of the ice. Indeed. Well, Bruce, we we're, let's leave it there. We got a, I got to post this. And, mm. and we got it. We, it's back to back for, for the Cult of Hockey as well. 10.30 again tomorrow morning. Today and was we'll a red at- eye special for me. All righty. Bruce, Coffee thanks for talking. And, uh, espresso. thanks for listening everyone and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the cult of hockey podcast